Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I'm going to keep these announcements brief because I actually start incorporating my announcements while I interview our guests live. So real briefly, if you love our show, do us a favor, will you? Please leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you are an Apple Podcast listener or iTunes, depending on your generation as to when you started listening to podcasting, you can simply visit our show in the app, scroll to the very bottom, and down there you can actually leave a five-star written review. If you are not on Apple Podcasts, then consider going on Podchaser. You can visit our website, tfawproject.com, and in the top right, you'll see Podchaser right there with our social media links. And we would love to hear from you and have you share to the world why you love this show so much. And my second and final announcement, you're welcome, is exciting, first of all. Have you ever considered starting a podcast or you want to continue growing your podcast? More importantly, have you ever participated in attempting a world record? Well, PodFest Global Summit is attempting a Guinness World Records title for the largest attendance for a virtual podcasting conference in one week. And guess what? At the time of this announcement, we have reached our goal of attendees. So at this point, if you want to tell your friends, I was part of a Guinness World Records title during the pandemic, sign up. It's free. And the conference is still going on today, right now, and tomorrow, August 14th and August 15th. In fact, you can catch me speaking on August 15th. And you will know the time, depending on your time zone, when you register for your free ticket by checking out the show notes of this episode or visiting tfawproject.com. Would love to see you there. Would love for you to connect. I actually created a group for other Filipino podcasters, so you could be a part of that. And don't wait, like I said, there's only two days left. Get that free education and brag to your friends that you are part of attempting a world record. Also, I do have one discount code left for anyone that is interested in upgrading their ticket. This is especially important for anyone who attends now, but they want to have access to the past workshops that have been going on this entire week. So if you want access to all of those workshops that you missed earlier on this week, find my contact info at tfawproject.com and I'll be happy to hook you up with my final discount code. All right, that's all the announcements I have for today. Please enjoy this next interview with powerhouse Rebecca Maria Goldschmidt. Alrighty. Okay, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as the Tifa Project for short. We have a brand spanking new website. I know I've kind of like grilled on this on a couple episodes already, but you can learn more about us and our show notes and our guests on our website, tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W project.com. And before I get into any other announcements, I have to bring on my co-host, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hey, everyone. 
Yes. And we're stoked, as I said, because every time we do an interview, we get to interview another incredible person in our community. But as I continue to tease you, let me get into a couple more announcements and housekeeping here. Tifa Project now has a phone number, if we haven't mentioned this already. So if you want to leave us a voice message, if you want to text us, Nani is usually the first to receive it, just like how she has done an incredible job managing our Instagram community. If you want to get that number, save it on your phone right now or check the show notes because it's going to be there as well at tifaproject.com. Okay. So our number here is 415-484-TIFA. Also, uh, that is 8329. And if you saved the wrong number in the last episode, let me say this again, 415-484-8329. So that's our phone number. Now you can leave a voice message. We might play it live uh, depending on how it sounds and if it's relevant to our community, but you could just text us as well. We're, I'd like to believe we're pretty responsive on there since we got a phone number. So also I want to share that we are starting to do video for this next season. And if you want to learn more on how to get access to our video interviews, please sign up for a newsletter, which you can also find in the show notes or on our website, tifaproject.com. Let's go ahead and introduce the guest that we are honored to have today. We have Rebecca Maria Goldschmidt. So Rebecca is an artist, educator, community organizer, and lifelong learner. She currently lives in Honolulu, Hawaii, which is also pronounced for all of you living in Honolulu, Hawaii. It's Honolulu, Hawaii. So with that said, from Honolulu, Hawaii, we got Rebecca Maria Goldschmidt. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm super stoked to be here. That was a great intro. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I've worked very hard on that, as you know. Great offline. job, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nani. You know, like before we start recording, one thing I had to mention to our listeners, if you haven't been on yet, which I encourage you to join us and share your story, is I always make it a point to ask people how they want their name to be pronounced and, and anything else. Like, you know, I don't speak Tagalog, unfortunately. That's not something that I maintained since I was a kid. And so sometimes I have to make some references with things I can't pronounce very well. And so I just appreciate my guest who take that time a couple minutes before we start recording to help me pronounce things because that way I save Nani the embarrassment. So she's the one that looks good. And then I'm the one that you all can laugh at. So, <laughs> so. I know a couple episodes ago, you were like, Nani, you're going to start doing the intros. And I was like, mm. <laughs> we'll yeah. sit on that one. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll give that a minute, but you know, whenever you're ready, obviously the opportunity is there until then I'm more than happy to take the bullet for us. <laughs> well, with that said, Rebecca, why don't we share, how did you hear about the Tifa project? And more importantly, what compelled you to join us on our show today and have a conversation with us? Wow. I feel like I've heard of you guys for a long time. And I think probably the first interview that I was aware of was with my friend who's also in the Bay and who's an amazing artist and movement practitioner who is Same. Same, yes. I love Same. I just got to shout out my girl because she's just such a fabulous teacher. I've learned so much from her. And I think especially in quarantine, these quarantine days, like she had a daily or not daily, like a Friday booty workshop that we were just like really getting grooving. Like throughout (laughs) quarantine. And it seriously, like it was community. It was like, we worked through a lot of stuff in that space. And yeah, like we met through the Babylon Studies um, retreat that was like our conference that I think happened last year in near Toronto. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think I had heard of your guys' show from before that. And then somebody was like, oh, I have an episode on that show. So anyways, that's how I heard about you guys. But I just really, I love podcasts. I love radio. I love listening to people share their stories. I listen a lot to different, you know, really random different shows. I listen to Rev Left Radio. I listen to like On Being, you know, NPR stuff. But I just really appreciated the space that was so tailored to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't anything else like this. And I think especially for women, it's just so important to hear everyone else's stories to see how you relate or how you don't and how, what the overlap is. And there's so many unique individual experiences. And I just felt like, yeah, when you guys sent me a message, I was like, oh, of course, I'm happy <laughs> to be on that. I'm happy to just chit chat with y'all and just, you know, see what we can talk about because there are so many things like topics to be covered in our experiences that just don't get the platform. So I just appreciate any kind of platform to talk about my work and hear about other people's experiences too. Yeah, for sure. And with that, I have to thank Nani for doing the outreach because she's the one that's really been managing our social media, mainly Instagram. And, you know, every now and then I'm like, hey, Nani, can you reach out to this person? You know, so Nani, thank you so much for your efforts to get people on the show, because obviously this wouldn't be possible if you didn't do that. (laughs) Of course, my pleasure. I I love to connect with people and invite them on the show. It's always... It's always really fun. And I think actually, Rebecca, a few people, if I'm remembering correctly, Same is probably the one, the first person that had referred you to us. But I think there were also a couple other ones. So very excited to have you today. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I love that because I get to find out live, like how incredible you are, Rebecca. So this is really Oh, yeah, the, the, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> glow, just the glow. <laughs> cool, cool. Yes. Okay. Well, Rebecca, as you know, the way that we define Filipino American women as of right now, and that continues to expand, just so you know, like the more that I learn about the people in our community, the more that I kind of want to uh, redefine how we quote unquote qualify people for the show. So in the meantime, we identify Filipino American women as individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronouns she, her. We have also invited the non-binary narrative as well. And even recently, Nani and I had talked to actually a Chinese Filipino in which her parents worked and lived in the Philippines and she speaks Tagalog, you know, obviously way better than me because I don't speak it at all. And so it's really interesting. And she, she struggles with if she should identify as Panay or not, because she is of, of Chinese descent. And so I've been thinking about that and thinking about how do I redefine, you know, how we identify Filipino American women to be more inclusive and include stories like her, because we can't deny the fact that she is Panay in, in her Absolutely. own way, you know. So until then, oh, Rebecca, why don't you share with us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as Filipino American women, a woman? <laughs> I guess I, I am every woman, right? <laughs> yes. Like the, like the Whitney Houston song. Uh, exactly. I won't bust out of the song right now, but you know, I'm so glad that you guys talk about that too, especially like from the queer lens and thinking about just like expanding what Filipino-ness is besides like outside of national boundaries, because mm-hmm. I think that is something that is important for us to keep talking about. Like if you grow up in Filipino community anywhere, like I think you can be, you can claim some kind of Filipino Filipino-ness, right? But, and then I think, especially with this person who has more Chinese ancestry, 
I think right now, like everyone's really going through and we've been doing this for a while now, right? Everyone's going through like the identity piece of like, how do we identify what even a girlfriend of mine just texted me the other day. She's like, how do you identify again? Because mm. I reposted that post that just came up about the history of all the different sort of social hierarchy that existed in Spanish. The caste system. Times, the mm-hmm. caste system. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, damn, okay. Like Filipino wasn't even the word that, mm-hmm. you know, we use for ourselves. I mean, we reclaimed that during the revolution, right? But all of the mestiza de sangre, mestiza del blah, 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 all the mixed different negritos, all those different words that were utilized to categorize us. So for me, like, you know, I always just kind of growing up, because I grew up in a Jewish household. So my dad's German Jewish. He was born Mm -hmm. in Israel, Palestine. Mm -hmm. And my mom is Filipino American. She was born in Chicago and her parents are from Pangasinan. So I have a really very unique experience as, you know, growing up Jewish and Filipino. And I know know there's a lot of us out there, but we're all kind of like finding each other right now. Like I've had some really great combos and connects with other Filipino Jews in the past, just in the past year, really. Mm. And so, yeah, I think growing up, I never really identified as Filipino. I knew that we were Filipino, but I never like said I'm Filipino, you know, right. or anything like that. I think it wasn't really till college that I started thinking. I mean, I had like a Filipino boyfriend in high school and it was like, oh, okay. But his family seemed so different than mine because his parents were from the Philippines. Mm, mm-hmm. And like we related on some levels, but I think it was more like we were into music, we were into different stuff, you know, whatever. But I didn't really feel like, oh my God, this person's Filipino. Oh, you know, like there was, there was so, it was just a different sense of identity, I mm-hmm. think then. And so when I spent a couple of years living in Mexico and when I was in Mexico, I was really like, whoa, like I feel really comfortable here. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. You know, Like, why do I connect so much with this culture and this, the lifestyle and the food and everything. And just like the way of being felt like way more comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I was thinking about going to grad school is when I was really like, wow, I need to like study the Philippines. Like what the hell? I got really a lot closer to my aunties who were in, or my family who's in San Diego, mm-hmm. Filipino family who I had not ve- been very much in touch with. It was like my mom's cousins. And when I started hanging out with them, I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah, I really need to study more about like, what does it mean to be Filipino? And what does that look like? So when I started to look at school in Hawaii, my main goal was to come here to think about like, what does it mean to be Filipino in a place where it's like prevalent to be Filipino Mm, when there's like mm. a mostly brown place and like how does your identity or how do you grow up how do you relate to other people and to yourself in a place where you're not a minority because growing up for me it was always like oh you're so exotic where are you from Mm. you know all that kind of bs and even through college and then especially in Mexico like why are you here what you know like what who are you what are you and so being Filipino really is something for me that like through my life has existed but only really recently have I like grabbed on and been like no like this is mine and, the, and I can claim this, right? But that also relates to, I think here in Hawaii, I've been studying Ilocano, our language, like my family's language. And that whole process has also really made me question just the idea of like Filipino-ness in general and mm-hmm. learning the history of our place and our islands and really trying to deconstruct a little bit like the actual 
national narrative of Filipino-ness and how mm. that's also a construction and a fake construction, like the same as like American, you know, it's like, what does it mean to be American? Okay. You can be like all these different <laughs> things and still be under the container of American. Right. Mm-hmm. But kind of trying to push the boundary a little bit more of like, even how we talk about ourselves. So when my friend texted me the other day, so what do you identify as? I was like, well, when I talk to these people, I say Filipino American because that's like, you know, like they can understand that. But when I talk to Filipinos, I'll probably say I'm Ilocano, but we're mm. from Pangasinan, you know. But then when I talk to like my family or something like that, I'm just like, oh, like I am, I'm Jewish, you know. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. it's just there's so many levels. And I think that's one of the great questions that we have as a place that's been colonized so many different times. I think people forget that there is so much complexity there. And that's the amazing beauty of being, you know, like Filipino American podcast, like you could literally have anyone in there as long as someone ties back somewhere to the Philippines. Like mm-hmm. I mean, you have people who are like one sixteenth Filipino, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe they feel they grew up with that person, their grandmother, whoever, their great grandparents, and they feel super connected to that. And that's totally legit too. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was kind of my answer as well when Janina had asked us that question, Jen, about who can, she asked us, who can claim Pinay? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's always so much back and forth like, oh, you're not Filipino enough if you don't speak the language or, you know, if you didn't grow up in these certain spaces. But I definitely agree with you. Like for me, it's definitely my grandparents that had the biggest impact. I'm close with all of, you know, everyone on my dad's side of the family, but my grandparents really instilled that in me. And I think that that's where my drive to connect with the culture outside of the context of my own family comes from. You know, the fact that they're gone now. And I, now that I'm interested in exploring my identity and what it means to be Filipina, I can't ask them because they're not here anymore. Like you said, in, you know, reasons why you wanted to move to Hawaii, and to grow up in a place or to be in community in a place where you're not the minority. I think that that's what we try to do here with our community online is provide that same kind of, you know, like comfy landing spot for folks to relate to and to be represented. Mm-hmm. This is why I love asking this question. Like every time I just feel like it never gets old to ask this question. Like, why do you identify? Because, you know, just like what you shared, Rebecca, it's just, we're all so different, diverse, multifaceted. And I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to like, do you identify, you know, as Panay? Do you identify as Filipino? You know, because otherwise anyone else you try to answer that to is just, you're just not going to feel good enough in some capacity. You're going to feel like you need to like prove yourself or what have you. And so it's an ongoing conversation. And I think that even once you define it, it's constantly evolving like that Mm -hmm. definition, especially as you start to learn more about yourself. Like for example, you know, this year, my sister, actually, since early last year, my sister has had this desire to learn about our dad's story because we had lost my dad when my sister was only five. And she's like in her late 20s now. She's close to Nani's age. I won't say the age because I just not. Why not? My sister listens to the shows, by the way. So yeah, so my sister's listening. Hi, Josephine. I love you. Like she listens to our shows and she talks to me sometimes. But but anyway, you know, it's really recently that she had a desire to learn about our dad's story. 
And for a long time, I thought that my parents were immigrants from the Philippines. I thought that both my mom and dad were from strictly from the Philippines. Well, what I've come to find recently is that my grandpa, my dad's dad, was a Filipino American. And he actually worked in California helping out, like he was in the farming industry. I don't know the entire story. I'm still learning it as I go. But he had encouraged my dad to join the military because he knew that, like, I understand now why he said, oh, there's better opportunities in America. I thought he was just saying that when really... Really, like he was in America and he knew for certain that there were more opportunities for him. And so now I'm thinking like, okay, am I like a first generation Philam or a second? Like I don't, 1.5, I don't know what I am, but it's really cool that I, I feel like, you know, our identity is ever evolving and we're constantly learning about ourselves. So I don't really think that defining uh, our identity is definite. It's more about who are we today and why do we identify as such today, which is why I try to be like, why I strive to have these conversations be so much about the present, because I think that's what's most important today and nowadays and probably forever in my opinion. So anyway, that's that. I appreciate the like present moment thing. I had someone say to me once, like kind of in in a conversation with a couple other people, they said to someone else, oh, you're Filipino, right? And this was coming from a professor of mine. So they were mm. saying to another person, oh, you're Filipino, right? And he was like, yeah, I'm half. And he was like, oh, well, you should talk to Rebecca about that because quote, she's still trying to figure that out. Mm. Yes. Interesting comment. Yeah. And (laughs) I was like so horrified that someone would say that to me. That was like in the beginning of my grad school Mm. years. And I was like, whoa, okay. So like clearly you don't understand anything about Filipino identity because like literally everybody is still trying to figure that out. It's like a continual process of just right. We're all learning together what it means. Yeah. (laughs) And I think I was just like, I was very offended and I like just kind of like taken aback by what that was and and I think from that moment and there were a lot of interactions that happened like that throughout my career but that sort of like just doubt and sort of like weird just sort of passive aggressive kind of like thinking about what this whole process is to me um, was like it just made me feel even more rooted in like the work that needs to be done to like tease it all out. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be like, I'm not dying over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, right. this is like a richness, like you're saying, like discovering your family's history, discovering like what parts of you relate, what doesn't, what you take with you, what you don't, like that constant change, like all of the things that you're adapting to, what comes out. I mean, it's like, I don't eat balut, but that doesn't mean I'm fi- like- Not Filipina. Filipina, yeah. Like, and like you guys said, like there's no definite- moment where you're like in or out it's just right. a constant flow and I think in the same way like gender people who are like working with gender identity and like presenting in one way or not or the other day you're going to be like this or you know it's like identity in general is just consistently changing and that to me is much more I guess the dynamics of that is way more interesting to be able to like try to pin it down or to be trying to like define it is completely futile because we are so adaptable and so changeable all the time. And I think that's like, what's so exciting about Philippinex identity. If we want to use that, right. Like, yeah, that's like a huge question right now is like, why are we using it or not? And I'm like, I don't even fucking care. Like I'm just, I continue to say (laughs) Filipino and Filipino American just because like, that's the general thing. And like, beyond that like there's so many categories but honestly it's just like we get stuck in that 
the jargon of the naming yeah. and we forget to like like you guys are doing like just go into the richness of everyone's experience yeah for sure i think by human nature we like to know things and we like to label things and that's why we get so obsessed with like what are you like where are you from you know like no really where are you really from you know and i think what we're doing or i'd like to believe on the show is saying like first of all, we don't owe it to you, you know, to like, mm -hmm. to be your teacher and tell you where we're from and who we are. And secondly, I think going back to the whole presence, it's like, you know, sure, that's my heritage. But like, what about who I am today? Like, isn't that important. And even if I don't have all the answers, like I'm still more than enough. Like I'm still more than qualified to be in this space right now, you mm. know, to have this conversation with you. So, so yeah, I just, I just love this thorough discussion we're having <laughs> with identity. Cause you know, obviously it's not just a Filipino American woman issue or Philippine X issue. It, it's a human issue. <laughs> yes. I yeah. think to really just That's come a good down point. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And uh, even though we are speaking, you know, our ideal audience are Filipino American women. I think what I'd like to to believe in these conversations is realizing we all are beautifully unique, beautifully designed, and it's just time to own it. Like it's okay to own like your uniqueness yeah. and your ever evolving identity and, and personality. Yeah, I do just want to add one last thing before we move on, and that is to the listener. If you guys haven't already seen the cast system meme or whatever you want to call it, visual on Instagram or that's been going around on social media, I would highly recommend that you go and find it and check that out because it can be really informative for a lot of people who don't understand the, the history of diversity of mm. Filipino people you know, not just recently and, or here in the diaspora, but historically. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you'll yeah. have to like forward that to me. One, one of you can. I will. I will. I think I, I think I posted it on our story like a week ago, but I will, I will send it to you. Maybe we can put like a link to it or something. Yeah. On our website. <laughs> on our website. Or yeah. in our yeah. pretty new website. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just humor, just humor Jen and visit yeah. the website to the project.com. <laughs> Jen worked really hard on that. I'm like talking in third person. She worked really hard on that. So just I'll say Jen there. worked very hard on that. Congratulations. <laughs> Building a Thank website you. is hard. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. It, it took a while. Yeah, absolutely. And fortunately we had help through our sponsor Captivate because they make it really easy to like put the website together and stuff. So I just have to give a shout out to them. I'm not, I'm not a web designer or like anything. I'm just, I'm not that. So I usually, yeah. All right. Anyway, let's go ahead and fast forward to today, Rebecca, since we're talking so much about presence and, and who you are today for people that are getting to know you for the first time. And I know with the current events, like there's a new normal that has been established for many of us, but why don't you share a snapshot of your life and particularly what keeps you busy or excited about life nowadays? Oh man, today is a busy day actually. So I am, I recently graduated from my MFA program. So I am a 2020 Corona grad. Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats. Wow. Thanks you guys. Yeah. It feels good. I feel pretty stoked on, you know, moving out of institutional life, which I think is, yes. is important, you know, moving on, but I am currently in the process of moving out of my studio. So mm. that's been really interesting. So for three years, I've kind of been I've settled into this room in the art building at the University of Hawaii campus here in Honolulu. And it's like, you know, okay, there's so many things here culturally, but like 
I'm a hoarder. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> Me too. I collect shit. I'm a collector. I, I, don't, I have the hardest uh, time throwing things away and like letting I, go of things. I can't let go. I have sorry. no use for. <laughs> Little things are important to me. Objects, material possessions. Everything like, has think, like a memory or something attached absolutely. to it. I get it's it. Just, I get it. Okay, <laughs> everyone can relate. You know why? Because my grandma did the same damn thing, and you know why? It comes from a scarcity mentality and mindset and especially here on island i mean there's like only certain materials that we can get i personally turn that into like i see it as a positive because you know i always have something that i need like Mm -hmm. i'm never really like i don't buy shit on amazon for my art you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying like i actually don't buy i've I've put myself on an amazon boycott even just like this year (laughs) because i was like fuck that like first of all that company's evil you know like they're doing so much crazy shit they're fucking up so many people's lives just by forcing them to continue to deliver the Mm. goods that other people need to keep buying. So, I mean, so when I looked at my studio and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to move out of here. I literally like even other people in the building were like, you really moved in, didn't you? (laughs) And I think that also comes from this place of like making a self, making a home for yourself. You Mm, know, I've, I've moved around a lot. I've chosen to move but I've also like I'm I'm a diasporic person like Mm. my family lost their house from gentrification in Chicago Mm. you know like there's a consistent moving I mean my dad's basically like they're refugees from Germany from the war like we have a history of movement right so Mm -hmm. um, when I came to this space I knew that I would be able to be there for three years and so my partner built some shelving in there for me. He built a loft for me. Like, I mean, I didn't really sleep there that much, but I I made like a little kitchen. I would have people over all the time. Like it was like a crash hangout spot within the (laughs) art building. And I used it as a community organizing space where people would like always have meetings and people would be there all the time. And it was an important place, but it also was a storage unit, you know, for all the random stuff that I would find if I found (laughs) something on the street or, you know, there was like a free store at school. So I would just take all the materials and so then and then plus like my work and my experiments with materials so in going through that space now kind of going back through these past three years of exploration which has really been about identity and and you know Filipino-ness it's been like such a like wow just like such a weird flashback like mini flashback but also like very therapeutic to throw it all away Mm. (laughs) and actually not even throw it away but give it away Mm. So I've just been having a lot of different people stop by my studio and pick stuff up. My friend came by with their kids, you know, just people I'm like posting it on Instagram. Like you want this, you want this, you want this, just like come get it. And you know, most of it, like, it's not like high valued items. I, you know, I had a couple things that were like maybe worth 50 bucks or whatever. So trying to like fund myself too. I mean, I think that's another big thing right now is like as an artist, a working artist, like, okay, what's my work going to be now that it's like in pandemic time, right? Like I'm not going to just be teaching classes right now. You know, everything's going online. My plans for like post-graduation just kind of work are very limited right now. But I also think that you know, I subscribe to like abundance theory and that like, if I have abundance and I give it out to the world, that that's going to come back to me too. So 
that's been, I've been really occupying myself with like one, just going through my stuff. I've been doing a bunch of fundraisers too. Like we did a Bakers, the Bakers Against Racism fundraiser that went off like a couple weeks ago. A couple people and I organized to raise some money for an organization here in Hawaii that's called the Popolo Project that a friend of ours, Akemi, she's actually also my neighbor, runs here in Hawaii in sort of generating spaces and educational conversations about blackness in Hawaii and the Pacific. Mm. So I think from all of the Black Lives Matter stuff, like as soon as that stuff really started taking off and the death of George Floyd sort of like set, you know, lit the match. Um, When Black Lives Matter stuff started happening, we in the Filipino community here got together a bunch of people and we're like, okay, how are we going to respond to this? What are we going to do as Filipinos? And from most of the Black community here who are also very exhausted from dealing with everything Mm. and having everyone check in and all that stuff. But we also, you know, we were kind of waiting for like, you know, guidance or I guess leadership from the Black community. And I think the Black community was also requesting that. Mm. But we, through Akemi and through some other organizers, you know, decided that it is the time for Filipinos to step up into that position of leadership and to make and create intentional spaces for these conversations to happen around anti-Blackness. So actually tomorrow we are having the first of a series of four conversations that I'm actually going to be doing. Like it's called, I will be holding a creative contemplation space uh, at the end of every conversation. So each Mm. conversation has a theme. I think tomorrow's is going to be Hawaii Filipinx call to action, Black Lives Matter. And then each one following up with that, there's one about indigeneity in Blackness. There's one about racial politics in occupied Hawaii. And there's another one that's about a people's budget in terms of thinking about, you know, what the Filipino and the Filipinx community needs here in Hawaii. So uh, it is really specific to place. I think Hawaii really has a unique sort of Filipino community here that also branches into the Bay Area, branches into New York, it branches into Seattle and the Philippines and Guam and the Pacific in general. So we really took it upon ourselves as people who are already thinking about anti-racist work. And I personally think that that's been a part of my work from the beginning, but this Mm -hmm. is just a moment in time where it's like, okay, now it's a marker of like, we got to step it up. Like Mm. it's not only just about us and our identity, right? And how does our identity intertwine with other people of color, black people, you know, black identified indigenous peoples, especially thinking about the Philippines and what's going on there and in Mindanao and and in the Cordillera and all the indigenous struggles, land struggles. So I think for me, it's just been a really intense couple of months. I mean, I know a lot of people like went straight into lockdown and were like, all right, it's all good. I was like, okay, I'm graduating. Now I'm trying to organize my community Mm. online, you know, like a lot of people are. I've been making masks because that's another big thing that, you know, the government and the state here was not providing masks to the prison community, the incarcerated community. So we stepped up a group of loosely affiliated, we call ourselves the Seamsters Union. Um, We just got together and, you know, figured out the mask making and we've been just busting out masks. I've kind of been slow on that recently because I've been doing so many other things. But yeah, so it's been really all about like finding some um, money sources and flowing those in the right directions. It's been about, you know, 
cleaning out my space and trying to figure out how to hold my own department, the art department at the university, accountable for also upholding a lot of the systemic racism and a lot of the just uncomfortable space that I've had to hold in that I'm not black, you know, like I'm never going to mm-hmm. claim blackness, but I'm like probably one of the browner people in that <laughs> department. And so like to receive the kind of microaggressions that I shared with you guys and like other ones, like I have, I'm working on document that's holding that department accountable for those actions. So I've been writing a lot of letters. I've been, you know, like, I think even though we're at home, there's still a lot that we can do. I've been calling, I mean, all the ice stuff that's happening on the border. I've been really involved in just like calling in and my reps for that. And then, oh my God, you guys think I'm totally nuts because I'm just like (laughs) in so many different spaces. But (laughs) this is also like the responsibility that we have as multifaceted Filipinos, Mm. right? It's like, I'm not just going to only be involved in terror bill organizing because that Mm. also applies to Palestine which is where my father was born you know Mm. so like how do I then manage I think it's been you know for mental health for everybody it's just been an onslaught of information and just trying to manage and it's like damage control like oh my god one more thing happening like uh you know but I feel really excited that people have been stepping up in the ways that they have. And I personally feel like I'm pushing myself to do out of the boundaries of what I would normally be doing while I'm in school. Now I have a little bit more time and space to do more. And yeah, it's definitely like a challenge and definitely an everyday sort of like, yeah, management of like, okay, my schedule is going to be this. I'm going to do this. And then today, my girlfriend, who's also Filipina, who you all should totally interview. Her name's Leila Kilolu. She's a Filipina Vietnamese from LA. Mm. She goes to UH. She's doing urban planning, doing her PhD in urban planning. So she's an amazing sustainability person, but she's also a musician. And so we played music together. And so I shot some photos of her last week and today is our, my turn to be the photo shoot person. So I'm supposed to, after I get off this call, I'm going to put together some outfits <laughs> so, so we cool. can like go take some photos together. But you know what I'm saying? So it's a multiplicitous existence of managing a lot of different projects and I enjoy my life being that way. And it's also like, you know, just trying to pay your rent. So if people are even always that people are even paying rent right now. Right. right? So yeah, I think I love what I do. I love being an artist. I love being able to organize community and hold space for people to have these conversations and I think I also mentioned, I need to mention this organization that I helped co-found, which is called Laing Hawaii, which is our, basically a language school. So we offer free language classes in Ilocano and Visayan, Mm. and we're trying to expand to some of the more other immigrant languages of Hawaii, um, like Chukis, Marshallese, peoples from from Micronesia and the Marshall Islands even Palau and stuff like that. That's been a lot of my organizing too. And we've did a bunch of workshops on mental health just because, you know, when everything started shutting down, there was a lot of support, I think, for people filing unemployment. There was support for people getting their paperwork done and support for people on like this really sort of generic state and federal level. But the mental health aspect just completely the bottom dropped out like if you even had a therapist that turned into a thing but most people and you guys know this more than most is like mental health the stigma 
for all that stuff is just so heavy that like we saw a lot of our community. I saw a lot. I heard a lot of people in my classes being like, well, I'm just drinking all day or like, I'm just, you know, self-medicating or whatever, you know, or like you're locked at home with your family. Like who the hell is your family? You know, are they abusing you? Are they taking Mm. advantage of you? Like, we don't know. So Mm -hmm. a lot for a lot of people, school and work was like a safe space outside of the home. Yeah. Right. So when that all started happening, we were like, all right, we really need to get some mental health workshops going here. So we organized a couple of those and those were really successful. And Mm. we're still going to be organizing our Ilocano classes to go completely online, which has been awesome because so many people have been writing us from all over just being like, yo, I really want to study Ilocano. How can I do this? So I think there's, you know, pluses and minuses on both sides, but I do think the online learning has been a really big push. It's pushed us as an organization to try to provide that as also a space of decolonization, decolonial learning, of rebuilding your identity, not only seeing it as based in these certain particular things, but helping people expand a little bit what that quote unquote like Filipinoness looks like. Because I think especially here in Hawaii, it, it looks a certain way and it's based on people's experiences here that also are rooted in plantation era culture. And Mm -hmm. so growing up within that sort of, you know, the lineage of the plantation is also really heavy. And so trying to get people to deconstruct that a little bit is important. And that's new to me. That's research that I've been newly doing. So I really, you know, work with the community here and my friends and even I have family here too that is in the military and how do we Mm -hmm. start thinking about how our complicity with the military is also oppressive to Native Hawaiians, how it's oppressive to Black peoples. Yeah, so I can ramble on and on like this forever, but those are kind of some of the things I've been working on lately. Just, Just some, just some. Just a few. I mean, just a few. Yeah. No, just, just, you know, a sample. Just, a sample. just saving, saving the world. No big deal. Just, yeah. you know. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I just want to take a moment to honor all of the work that you've been doing, especially, you know, in the pandemic and through trying to support the Black community after George Floyd and all of the other police brutality that's been going on. I think it's super important in our community right now for leaders such as yourself to be, you know, taking on that work and showing us because I feel like when everything first kind of popped off, the response that I was seeing was kind of like, uh, uh, like, what do we say? What do we do? You know what I mean? How to, yeah, everyone was kind of like frozen for a minute Mm -hmm. and everyone was like, how does this concern me? You know what Mm -hmm, I mean? And mm -hmm. that's a question that people really need to sit on and reflect on because even if you don't think that it involves you, it absolutely does, whether it's talking about colorism within the Philippinex community or how our struggles are intertwined. I was reading something from Angela Davis and she I forget what it is she said, but it was basically like, you can't understand anti-Blackness without also understanding anti-Muslim, you know? Mm, Absolutely. And with, you know, for example, what's happening right now in the Philippines with the anti-terror bill is Mm. directly connected to what Trump is trying to do with us today, you know, and the stuff that's going on with ICE, like everything. Once you just sit down to learn about one of those movements, it's like, Mm. oh, you can make so many different connections in so many different places. And that's, you know, your tie to it. That's why you should care. Because Mm -hmm. in one way or another, it will, it does or it will affect you. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate you highlighting that. 
it is so interconnected. And like you said, like we're all complicit, you know, and, and I, I, I feel like a lot of times I, there's like that guilt factor or everyone feels paralyzed or like you just don't know how to respond or react because you're like, it's just too much. And I think that is intentional. You know, they intentionally bombard us with all of this kind of Mm. stuff to keep people paralyzed and fearful and feel like and disempowered. And so to me, I think my main goal has been throughout this whole situation to be like, okay, what can I actually do? What are the skills that I have now that I can do? Like, I know how to bake and I know how to sew. That's some basic ass shit that my grandma taught me, you know, but like- (laughs) it can be extremely useful in this time. Extremely useful and extremely powerful if, if you utilize it in the right way. So it is all about- you know, like Seme, our like dance theme through that whole like booty class was that level up song. And we were like, this is all about leveling up, like all of our skills, all of our, you know, transcending the limitations that are put upon us right now for this particular moment and just seeing how you can do it better, how you can do it in a different way. I mean, it's all about creativity. And I think a lot of artists have been showing you know, the communities when like the state gets paralyzed, when like certain shit stops happening, you know, like how are the ways that you can kind of flow through that? Yeah. Also, I just wanted to say about the language school, the lying school, by the way, lying is one of my favorite dishes. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really great that you're forming a language school that kind of intertwines talking about identity and decolonization and things like that. Like I can't imagine what the kids that are going through your programs are going to be like, like what their language and vocabulary is going to look like once they're done. That sounds like a really amazing opportunity. Like I would love to attend that school. You can. <laughs> well, and we actually, it's mostly like young adults and adults. Like our, our oh, okay. age is mainly like 18 to 35. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys are all totally welcome to join us and we're going to try to set it up as kind of more workshop based. So like yeah. you can sign up for like six workshops. I mean, ideally you want to do the whole set. There's going to be like 12 or something like that for this fall. But we do want them to be a little bit more accessible to people where people can just do a couple because it is hard. I mean, we all went through this program. It was something that was started actually by the consul general here in Hawaii like a couple oh, wow. years, like maybe six, maybe almost seven years ago, 2013, I think. And it was in partnership with our Ilocano professor from UH and Manang Agkoili, he's actually in the Philippines right now. So we're kind of like trying to figure out how to move it online. So a couple of years ago when we went on an immersion to the Philippines, they were like, okay, we don't really know if we're going to be able to keep doing this program. There's not enough support for it. We don't have space, et cetera, et cetera, or money. So the group that I went with to the Philippines, our class decided, you know what, we're going to keep this going. And we just decided to, yeah, we kind of like revamped a little and we started inviting some more guest speakers and just tried to instill some of the kind of more political thinking and decolonial thinking that was really important to us through our journey. And yeah, that's just kind of grown into like something more than just like the language, but the language is the basis for all of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would love to learn the language through, you know, the context of talking about my identity and things like that. So very, very cool. Yeah. Rebecca, wow. You are doing such incredible work right now. It almost sounds like the pandemic is not affecting you because of how busy (laughs) you are. I'm just like, does she know 
there's a pandemic going on. <laughs> I know, right? For real though. Like just sit down. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I'm like, woman, just rest, you know, and, and resting, you know, when it first popped off because my whole thesis exhibition and I'll just mention this briefly was a gathering space mm. so like took a space in the gallery I made it into like a, a living room setting basically I made all these pillows everyone could hang out there were all these like woven curtains it was like kind of like walking into like sort of memory of your grandmother's space like what it would have been like a hundred years ago but also like now so anyways I tried to make that space and then it was only open for a week and then everything was shut mm. down Man. And I spent, you know, months and months wow. of planning to make that happen. I was like, I had all these grants, you know, all that kind of stuff. So wow. it was like, ah, you know, I totally truncated the whole situation. And then after, you know, once everyone was like, okay, got to stay home. I was like, oh shit. Like <laughs> I'm not going to do shit. I was kind of relieved. <laughs> I was like, oh, perfect. I can just relax. I can three more weeks of programming to get through. And then the world is like, psych. <laughs> it was a huge psych moment. And then I didn't, I really didn't do anything. I mean, I just, I was just like sat, I just chilled and I was like, wow. Okay. Guess this is where we're at. And I was really inspired by like by the NAP ministry. I don't know if you guys heard of them. Um, another Filipina, Kim Kompok is another amazing Filipina scholar here at UH who you all also should interview. <laughs> but she mentioned in a phone call, one of the early pandemic phone calls, she was like, you guys should check out the NAP ministry. And it's a black woman, I can't remember her name, Patricia, I believe, who her work is, she's an artist and it's a collective, I think, but all their work is about black women resting. Mm. and taking time to relax and they build these beautiful installations of like billowing curtains and then they just have women just like sleeping there or just mm -hmm. resting and hanging out and that is truly what wow. my exhibition was trying to do too it was trying to be a space of rest and recuperation and regeneration and so when everything shut down I was like okay I do need to rest this is a moment it is a call to for everyone to just chill but yeah. at the same time, you know, it's like when you're like an, a workaholic like me, <laughs> like what does resting really look like? So I've been trying to go to the water. I've been in the ocean a lot, like recently, mm -hmm. just to like keep that balance a little bit. And, but it is, yeah, like when you're on the grind all the time, it's just not, it doesn't work like that. Like we have to be able to, which is specifically why when we were planning this series of talks about anti-blackness with all the different people coming together from different orgs we were like okay how are we going to give this longevity like we can't just like do it all right now like mm -hmm. you have to be able to uh, stagger it so we were like okay people were like all right we're going to take these first couple we'll organize these we're going to take a couple more in the fall like just kind of like space it out and really being able to lean on other people is really important too because yeah it's not like I mean I can't do it all myself even though mm -hmm. most of us think that we can have that kind of impact like it's just so easy to just collapse and burn out like it's exhausting yeah. so yeah I appreciate your guys just recognition of that of that work and that labor and it's not paid I mean none of us are like doing this for money mm -hmm. we're just doing it because we need to do it and like you guys too it's like 
you know that the stories need to be told. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I appreciate you saying that, Rebecca, I, I wanted to add upon what you were saying that we have to stagger it out because this should be sustainable as well. Mm. You know, like once we started to create more BLM awareness, a lot of people are saying like, okay, like we got your attention, but it's not just like another like headline, you know, mm. like we have to make this sustainable. And so I think it's really, really important to spread that out because we do want this to last. We don't just want this to be a trendy thing. We don't mm. want this to be another hashtag on Twitter that just disappears, you know, the next day. Like we are really trying to change a lot of things right now and we can't do it overnight. We can't do it alone. And yeah, it's going to take time. It's going to take community and it's going to take consistency in a way that respects our own mental, physical, emotional health, because, you know, we all know that is very important as well. I can only imagine what kind of work that you'd be doing, you know, post-corona <laughs> when we can go outside and get back to our normal, like, gathering spaces and everything because you're doing so much, you know, in quarantine. I can only imagine the potential mm-hmm. yeah. that you have to be impactful. Uh, oh, my God. Watch out. <laughs> more normal circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Watch what a out. force. Uh, yeah. Uh, like a bat out of hell. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We need that. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to add to is just how much you embrace how multifaceted you are, because, you know, I have always considered myself very eclectic and even I juggle a million projects um, at once. And I used to feel ashamed about that. I used to think that I had to be just good at one thing or know for be known for one thing. And no matter how much I tried, I have found that if I stick with one thing, it kills me. Like, I'm just like, I can't do this. Like I remember, so I was, this reminds me of when I was in high school, I picked up a lot of extracurricular activities. Like I did sports, I did organizations. And then first year in college, I was like, I'm just going to be a student. Like, I'm just going to, my first year, like I took, I took on like the full amount of units you could take as a college student at San Diego State University. That's like, I think I took like 18 units and that's like considered like, like over full time, uh, you know, to be a student. Yeah, I think 12 well, is like full-time, yeah. isn't it? Wow. Yeah, so I, t- I did 18. 18 is aggressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm going to do 18 because I'm not going to have any extracurricular. I'm going to be like the good student my mom always wanted me to be. Well, let me tell you, that first, <laughs> that first year, I almost ended up on academic probation. Like, no oh. joke. Like, I was like a 2.01 GPA, and I had to climb my way up. Like, and I remember when I finally picked my major, you needed at least a 3.0 to get into it. And you had to like pass this like grammar test and get at least like 80 out of 100 out of that. And it's crazy because I remember the semester when I got my best grades, it was because I was busy. I was like, I was so busy. Yeah. I was like, I was in all these extra extracurriculars. I was in homecoming court. Like I, I just did like so many things. Wow. And I was recovering from a breakup. <laughs> I, oh I, yeah. And so, and that was my best semester yet. And I was like, you know what? Like that then on, I, I realized. <laughs> Yes, it exactly. go up. And so, well, the thing is we ended up getting back together, but that's a whole other thing. And then we broke up a couple <laughs> years later. But anyway. That's okay. We've her. all been there. <laughs> you use that energy to launch yourself. Yes, yes exactly. That's, that's yes. the point. <laughs> yeah, the point is, yeah. The point, yeah. And then also just like embracing the fact that I am eclectic, I'm multifaceted, I'm multi-passionate. And I had struggled with that for many years, but I've just come to a place now, especially because of all the people we've had the fortune of interviewing on the show would be like, you know what? Like I am who I am and it's cool. It is what it is. So, so I appreciate you like just being so thorough with everything that you're doing today. No big deal. Um, because it just, it just validates, I think our listeners and even myself, you know, to be like, yeah, I do a lot. 
So <laughs> I do a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done. You know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people to serve. Like I got to do it. Like it's a responsibility. So, so thank you for really, you know, sharing that and what you're doing nowadays. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I know. And it is like, my mom is always like, just say no, just say no. <laughs> Just say no. You're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, eh. but I mean, it is, and there is something I did see one of my other monongs, one of my like older mentors here in Hawaii the other day. And I was like, how are you monong? And she's like, I just feel like I'm doing so much. And I'm just at like 80% capacity with like everything that I'm like, everything I'm at 80% and I just could be doing better. And I'm like, yes, I know exactly how you feel because like you're trying to reserve some kind of energy for yourself and your life and your home and whatever but like if you are going to go a hundred percent like that has to be like the energy does have to be focused in mm -hmm. you know and I feel like even though my work is like social practice right like I think of myself as a person who works in these ways as an artist like my life is not totally separate from my art I'm not like mm -hmm. just here making these things and selling them and that's like my art and then I'm over here doing this community stuff like I do feel like it is intertwined so much so that it is difficult to like discern what's what and mm -hmm. I think that's you know much like I feel like the quote-unquote art world would want you to be like more separate so you can like tell like, what is the art right like <laughs> what is the art is it like just me on the phone all day like trying to do to organize something like is that art I don't know mm -hmm. but that kind of like the attempt to channel your energy into something and to create it and to make something happen and to organize something and to get it to go and then whatever happens within the space that you did organize like that to me is just more interesting than just not doing anything or like mm -hmm. you know like everyone's like Netflix and chill and I'm like girl who got time for Less that time Nobody. for that yeah <laughs> like, not in I, Rebecca's world <laughs> <laughs> but you do have to like just do the shit that you like to do and mm -hmm. then it's not like it's not a question of whether or not you're gonna want to do it you just mm -hmm. like you choose you make the choice to invest yourself and your energy and your time and your love into something that you know is gonna feed back to you Mm -hmm. you know and like you're saying Jen with like you know you go through this breakup or you go through whatever you're going through in your life and it's just like it seems really devastating or like it's going to knock you out but those are the kind of moments and like I, I feel like I also just want to mention our ancestors here because all of our ancestors brought us together into this space like that mm -hmm. was a call to bring us together to mm -hmm. talk in this way you know yes and I always tried to give thanks to them for for leading me here and I would have never spoken that way a couple of years ago I've never been like oh my ancestors da, da, da. but I really think like that's why I do what I do is like I think about I was texting a girlfriend last night she's like I don't know if I can do this anymore I don't know I'm super overwhelmed blah 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 and I was like girl you freaking ancestors we got this shit like look at what the shit they had to go through like right. literally and and I'm gonna bring it back well maybe Jen is gonna mention this later but I'm gonna bring it back to I think something I mentioned in the quote that I gave you guys which is like my grandmother always told me like don't settle, you know, like just mm. don't settle. Just always try your best. Always do it as much as you can. Always do things for yourself. Like don't just only do it. You'd only sacrifice. I think that's something really um, unique for a Filipino person, you know, coming out of the 20th century, right? Yeah. Like she was mm -hmm. coming to America in like the 1950s. And like, she was all about like, she was like, I made this choice because I wanted to come here for my own adventure and for my own sake. 
Obviously, mm. she went also to America to help her family and send money back and all those things too. But she was very much like an independent. She was very much about being an independent woman. Mm. And I think that really influenced my way of just like being in the world too. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't have to do the transition. So thank you. Uh, one thing, no, don't apologize. I was perfect. I, I love it when people do it for me because it's like, oh, sweet. Okay. Save me some time. But, uh, you know, one thing she also mentioned that you included in your notes here is that she encouraged you to not get married, which I think is very unique. You know, I, I think of my whole life, my whole family is always expecting me to, I mean, obviously I'm married, but Every like, time I, you see them. Yeah. I'm getting married. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> And then if it's not marriage, it's like, it's the next thing after that. When are you going to have kids? When, you know, I want grandkids, you know? And so I'm curious, what do I want to ask about that question? I just think it's so fascinating, you know, that Mm -hmm. your grandma Mm -hmm. had encouraged that. I just think it's so fascinating because I haven't heard that, you know, I think it's the first time I'm hearing a grandma, you know, say, don't get married. It's cool. Like, do you? (laughs) Yeah, it's inspiring to hear that because like Jen said, most of us have not, or Mm -hmm. we've heard the opposite basically our whole lives. And it sounds like just from the little bit that you've shared with us so far about your grandma, that she just had so much like respect for herself and for Mm -hmm. her own like dreams and desires. And I love that she really like ingrained that in you too, because a lot of us just get lost in that like colonial mentality, Mm -hmm. like stay on the path, do what Mm -hmm. you're supposed to do while I'm here, you know, like Mm -hmm. don't talk back, don't disappoint me, don't try to sway off stream, just keep your head down and keep walking, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love that you have like, just like the complete opposite of that. And I think that our community really needs to hear that like again and again and again. So yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to fulfill the Maria Clara archetype. It's okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. Like I remember when my grandmother told me, because, okay, so just general life story background for her. She grew up on a farm in Pangasinan. Her family was landowners. Her grandfather was in the church, the Methodist church. So they had land and they had space. So they had money, right? But they weren't rich. They just had land, but land is mm-hmm. money, right? So they had vegetable farm. They paid for her school to go to school in Manila with vegetables. They basically would like send carts of vegetables to pay for her tuition to go to school. That was like part of the exchange, right? Wow. And, wow. Which is really cool. Yeah. It's dope love, that you know these that. details. Like, yeah, how you know, cool. I just have collected them from different, from what she told me, from what my mom told me, from, you know, mm-hmm. aunties told me, but she wanted to be a lawyer and her family mm. wouldn't let her be a lawyer. She was born in 1920. Mm-hmm. So she was going to school in Manila, like in the like early, you know, war times. Like this was like, I think she ended up going back because of the war. You know, there's so much that I could say about her life and her journey, but she went to nursing school. She was one of like these early boats of nurses that came over. Mm. She came, I think in 52, something like that. So like after the war, but she was part of this, like if you guys read Dr. I think Dr. Sinisa Choi's then the book about nursing, Empire of Care. She talks about Chicago as being like the center point of, for the recruitment of nurses in that particular mm. time frame. And so my grandmother was definitely part of that. It was like the schools that were built in the Philippines were specifically to recruit nurses to get them jobs in the in the States and Chicago. And New Jersey was another place. So she went to New Jersey first and then came to Chicago and met my grandfather there she was already like 32 or something that's like my age when she met my grandfather Mm. and I always wonder I'm like wow did she have boyfriends like did she have like 
who was she gay? I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. she was like with women all the time. All her pictures are of her with like you other nurses. You just yeah. don't, I have no idea. Right. Yeah. But she said that her, uh, her, her, um, peers were like well don't you want to have kids and have a family and she's already 32 mm. she's like oh, i guess and so she kind of was like almost peer pressured into getting mm. married wow. and so she met her husband which is my grandfather who was a lot older mm. he was like in his 50s and you know i don't know maybe they got married for papers maybe they got married for love who knows mm. they clearly have an exchange we have like little cute little letters and and like photographs of their exchange and their like courting oh days it's very oh, sweet you have letters yeah it's just like cute like little notes on the backs of photos and stuff like that very, <laughs> very so cute. invaluable i love that. amazing yeah and it's beautiful and like I don't want to invalidate their love and their relationship like they clearly had something going on they had two kids my mom and her twin sister mm. and so it's like thinking about but when she told me like don't get married just travel <laughs> I was like <laughs> oh my god like how could you say that because like you have family and you have kids but she was an adventurous person I mean mm. she was the first anyone who leaves their house like I give so much props to all the Filipinos whatever the 6,000 who leave every Every single day who are mostly women who mm. go to Dubai who go to Tokyo who go to whatever to leave their house and to go like they have this sort of like spirit of like wanting to do that like even though it's a necessity maybe some people don't want to leave there's still something in you that like has you know you made that decision right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think my grandmother always really was like yeah like she was all about that she was all about looking good <laughs> she was like all about fashion like we would just try on dresses and my mom's all about fashion like she was definitely all about like presenting yourself in this particular way and being independently I guess being economically independent mm. and that was something that was really important to her too of just like knowing your money knowing how to count it you know knowing what to do with it knowing how to invest it knowing how to buy houses like some of my aunties who she helped bring over the whole family right like everyone who's in my family who's here in the states now like my grandma they passed through one of my grandmother's houses and she was really you know strategic in their pathways to get to you know the american dream or whatever so mm -hmm. I think I do see her as a leader in that kind of sense but then you know there's just so many their characters like them seeing them as our ancestors in our lives like what they offer to us and what they continue to offer to us it's like it is this sort of guidance of like how to really truly just be yourself mm -hmm. she was very straightforward and <clears throat> I remember one of my cousins told me that he went to stay with her one summer or something and she they went to the grocery store and she had all these like bags of groceries and he was like she's like getting it all together outside he's like oh I'll help you carry it auntie and she's like no I can do it myself she just grabbed all the bags <laughs> and just kept walking and he's like okay like he's like probably in his like early 20s or something. <laughs> so that kind of thing Love she it. just was that kind of person and I think when you do make those choices to go somewhere that you like you're going to depend on your community wherever you are but if you get there and you don't necessarily have that you have to build that for yourself too you have to create so, it, yeah. yeah I think that was very much a part of her story was like building building it up she sounds so she sounds like she was just so like ahead of her time you know being born in 1920 and having such a mindset like that and being so adventurous and independent I think that again from just the few minutes or hours however long we've been on this call <laughs> 
talking to you, I can definitely see that like same spirit manifested in you. So I think that that's a, you know, let's pay some homage to grandma. Love <laughs> you, Grandma Marcella. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, what a discussion, right? I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't even know how to end this. <laughs> Don't get married. No, don't get married. Don't fucking do it. That'll be the title of our episode. Don't get married. Wait, so Rebecca, you are not married. I am not. I'm not married. Okay. And you have no desire to get married. I mean, if I really go into like the feminist thinking of like, I guess we'll say Western feminist thinking of like what marriage is, it's an economic contract, you know, that's, it's a benefit to people's economy. And if that works for you, then that's awesome. And I don't doubt that people are reclaiming marriage for themselves in whatever way that they want to. Right. Personally, don't feel like that kind of commitment is necessary for me but Mm -hmm. who knows maybe it'll happen maybe I mean I don't know that maybe Mm -hmm. that is a possibility still but I do have a when I was working in San Diego actually I had a group of girls I ran a project with called Collective Voices and the women were mostly teenagers who were born in San Diego, but their parents were from East Africa. So mostly Mm. Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And one of the moms asked me, I had a partner at the time, my boyfriend, and she was like, oh, where's your boyfriend tonight? And I was like, oh, he's not here. He's working. And she was like, are you guys married? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, why not? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like I don't need to be married. I I can do things by myself. And she was like, and they're very traditional Muslim, you know, Mm. coming from a very traditional background. And she was like, well, if you get married, then he can just help you do all the things that you want to do. And I was like, oh, that's actually a really good point. And my grandmother, (laughs) just thinking about this, my grandmother also did say one thing that I will always remember. She was like, if you get married, because she she said, don't get married, right? But then she goes, if you get married, make sure to marry a poor man so you can get rich together. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. I wish you, I could have met your grandma. <laughs> like, what all these tips? I just that popped in. What advice? Yeah. She should have marry like a book a on man. her, like her own lessons. On yeah. Advice and everything. Advices. So don't do it. But if you do get married, may, at least marry a poor guy so you marry can get a poor rich man. together. I love <laughs> <you go>. that. <laughs> So, on that note, <laughs> on that note, close it up. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. This is why I love just kind of going into these conversations, just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, because like I love uncovering you know these types of stories. So thank you for just being extremely present with us today and so candid and open with your story and and everything and everything that you're going through. And we're really excited for you now that you're graduated. I'm really excited to see like more of the work that you're going to do, no big deal. And for people that do want to reach out to you and connect with you and collaborate with you or, or be, you know, help you, how can they do that? How can they find you online? I think the best thing is Instagram right now, even though I feel like everyone's overwhelmed in that space. But honestly, like people hit me up all the time and I love it. I love connecting with people there. I think it's been a really generative space for all of us, especially in the Filipino community Mm -hmm. to connect Mm -hmm. with people. So please, please, yeah, hit me up. I'm at big, big, big things. (laughs) Love it. Every every time I say it, I just have to laugh because it's hilarious. But um, yeah, (laughs) somehow it works. So yeah, go just hit me up there. I think that's probably the best spot. You can also email me. I have a website. It's Rebecca with three R's. So R-R-R-E-B-E-C-C-A.com. And you can see some of my 
more artwork stuff over there. But yeah, I'm happy, really more than happy to connect with anyone. I'm so grateful to you guys for this platform and really, truly appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. Like to me, archives are really important and the history, right? Like these Mm -hmm. documents that we have from the past. And so this whole collection of interviews that you guys have is such an incredible bounty that you're offering. Yeah, it's an offering forward because this is something that like none of us had growing up. It's something Mm -hmm. that none of us had, you know, our parents, our grandparents didn't have this kind of validation for our own experiences. Mm. And so I'm just, it was like, when I got this message, I was like, yes, of course. I'm so happy to talk to them because I can blab on forever, but you guys are (laughs) truly, truly making a space for these conversations to even happen and then to be recorded and contained and Mm. like shared out like that's the most important part and like someone's going to come back to this and it doesn't even have to be 50 years it can be in like two years to just do an analysis of like how people's experiences look and exist and feel so thank Mm. you guys thank you so much Uh, yeah that means so much to us thank you and you know I feel like we had this conversation with Janina about the intent of our show. And I don't like to say that we are necessarily trying to do any kind of movement or anything. I mean, if there's any movement, it's documentation. But I like to create this um, safe space for, you know, our fellow Panais to document their stories because you just don't know who that's going to help. So I just want to thank you for collaborating and contributing to this project overall. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, I'm really excited for you for when our listeners reach out and want to connect and chat with you more. Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. It was such a fun time hanging out with you virtually here. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Awesome. And with that said, obviously, everyone, I always say this, and please just humor me if that's all you're going to do. But if you want to get the show notes, if you want to get that details on how to contact Rebecca, check out our website at tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W project.com. Just humor me. Just just do it. Just, I mean, or not. Or not. I don't want to pressure you. It's brand new. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying. But yeah, with that said, thank you all so much for listening. We hope that this conversation resonated with you. Please reach out to us, engage with us. And until then, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Ta-ta. Bye.